This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. Tonight we begin with an episode from the series The Lives of Harry Lyme that starred Orson Welles. He was an American actor, director, writer, and producer who is remembered for his innovative work in radio, theater, and film and considered one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. While in his 20s, Welles directed a number of high-profile stage productions for the Federal Theater Project, including an adaptation of Macbeth with an entirely African-American cast. He and John Houseman founded the Mercury Theater, an independent repertory theater company that presented a series of productions on Broadway through 1941. But back in 38, his radio series, The Mercury Theater of the Air, gave Wells the platform to find international fame as the director and narrator of a radio adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds, which caused widespread panic because many listeners thought that an invasion by extraterrestrial beings was actually occurring. Although some contemporary sources say these reports of panic were mostly false and overstated, they did rocket Wells to notoriety. His first film was Citizen Kane in 1941, which he consistently, which is, pardon me, consistently ranked as the greatest film ever made, which he co-wrote, produced, directed, and starred in as Charles Foster Kane. But here we go from the lives of Harry Lyme, the episode entitled Susie's Q. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the story The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. Her name was Susie. But she was very, very far from being a floozy. She was lovely, and she was a countess. And I mean a genuine countess, too. I can vouch for that. I checked on her ancestry. It pays to be sure about these things. When I first met up with her, she was suffering from a complaint not uncommon among the post-war aristocracy of Western Europe, the main symptoms of which are expensive tastes and a certain emptiness of the purse, if you get what I mean. And that's how we came to team up, in fact. And since Carl and I turned out to be just the supers and Susie was the star... I'll call this little adventure Susie's Q.
And now, Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man, in today's story, Susie's Q. What brought me to Vienna was a hint that for an astute financier like myself, there was an honest buck or two to be made on the international currency market. Uh, not black, you understand, just a pale shade of gray. My informant had neglected to mention, however, that the regulations were being policed with ghoulish enthusiasm by the authorities of the four occupying powers. And as four against one is tough odds in any language, be it French, Russian, American, or British, I decided that the lime neck was too valuable a thing to risk being stuck out. There were three hours to go before the next plane back to Paris, so I was filling in time in the American bar in the Hotel Continental, reading an afternoon newspaper. At the next table, there was a man and a woman. He was the German officer type, you know, tall and straight back with that scar down one cheek. And she was, well, let's just say she had everything, all in the right proportions and all in the right places. As I read on, I was vaguely conscious of the man rising. He left the bar, and then after a while he came back, and the next second he was beside me, with a click of the heels and a stiff military bow. Please forgive this interruption. Oh, certainly. See, the bookstall has no newspapers. We are uh -huh. wanting most anxiously to know the result of a case in the court today, which is bound to be reported. Uh, could I possibly be troubling you uh, for a moment? For my newspaper? Not at all. Here, here you are, man. Ah, Go ahead. You are being most kind. So, uh, ah, here we are, on the front page, as I thought. Baron wins claim court order against divorced wife. He has won. Splendid. You hear that, Susie? He has won. I am so glad. Uh, your paper. A thousand thanks. Oh, well, why not take it over to your friend over there and uh, read the report in detail? No, 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 man. it is only the verdict we are wanting. Oh. Uh, the Baron is being a friend of ours, you see. Again, our grateful thanks. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen, old man. Auf Wiedersehen. Curiosity being one of the lime failings, as soon as my heel-cricking friend had returned to his own table, I read the story through, and it seemed a certain Baron Dortmunder had been suing his divorced wife for the return of a family heirloom, a diamond necklace, which was reputed to have been owned by Marie Antoinette. And the wife's defense was that it had been a present to her, but the court had ruled this out in order to return the necklace forthwith. Oh, I was speculating idly on what chance a fellow would have of disposing of a little thing like this necklace happened to come into his possession when suddenly there was another click of heels. Your pardon, please. Oh, it's you again. Hmm? You will forgive this insistence, but uh, am I friend and I correct in believing you to be Herr Lime? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Lime's my name. The Herr Lime. Uh, what can I do for you, Herr... Uh... Uh, Clausen. Karl Clausen. Uh, glad to know you, Herr Clausen. Uh, the pleasure is, I'm sure, in you, mutual. Mm, yes, I'm sure it is. You have been reading the story of the Baron's necklace? Yes, matter of fact, I have. Just you are finding it of interest? Well, yes, in a small way. I'm quite a collector of uh, objets d'art myself, you uh, know. So it is said. Yes, well, I had uh, no idea I was so well known as matter In friend. our business, it is desirable to be well informed. May I ask what is your business, Herr Clauser? Uh, perhaps the same as yours. It is possible you have been wondering how, if one is chancing to possess such a necklace, one would find for it the right buyer. Huh? Are you a mind-reading act or something? Sure. Go right on, please. And it is occurring to the Countess and myself that you may be interested in uh, a proposition of business. That's yeah? quite possible. You are following what I mean? That I have already a buyer for the necklace at a hundred thousand dollars. American dollars, old man? Yeah. 
Well, if I fall, no one can say I wasn't tempted. Lead on, Herr Clauser. And that's how I came to meet Susie. Their plan was simple enough. The Baron Dortmunder lived alone except for a housekeeper and a manservant in a small villa in one of the suburbs. Every Thursday night, the housekeeper went off duty. Next Thursday, Susie planned to get the Baron out of the house by entertaining him at dinner. That left only the manservant. Clauser was to cope with him by calling on the pretense of wanting to see the Baron and then keeping the fellow standing by while he wrote a long note. Meanwhile, with the coast clear upstairs, I was to purloin the necklace. It is no difficulty, Harry Lyle. The Baron's bedroom is on the first floor, and from it opens a balcony. Mm. From the garden, there is a lattice screen that leads to the balcony. Yeah, a yeah. child could climb. Oh, well, that may be, honey. What I'm trying to tell you is that I'm not a professional thief. Even if I get into the room, what do I do then? I imagine the necklace will be under lock and key, won't it? You'll, of course, use this key. Oh, how did you get hold of that? Well, I thought perhaps it may be of service someday. So one evening when I was dining with the Baron, he drank a little too much champagne, and... When he was not looking, I took an impression of the key and right. Susie is what you call a make-up opportunity. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> well, I'd certainly like to oblige, but... Uh, but what, my friend? Forgive such a sordid detail, but... What's in it for Harry Lyme? Oh, hmm? Of course, we have not yet terms discussed. No, we have not yet terms discussed. <laughs> How no. stupid of it. When the necklace is being sold, uh, what say you to one-fifth of the proceeds? Yeah? Well, I can answer that in one word, Herr Clauser. No. Mm-hmm. What would Herr Limes suggest? A three-way split, one-third each, hmm? You want a third? For me, it is agreed. But Susie... Well, what point is there to quibble? Herr Lime is right. He is the one who takes the risk. Thank you, Countess. Is that okay with you, Herr Clauser? If Susie is saying it, I am in accord. Then it is, how you say, a deal? Yes, it's how I say a deal. Good. Champagne, girl. Champagne. Let us bring to our new partnership. And its success. As we were all living in the one hotel, I saw quite a lot of Susie and Carl in the next couple of days. We were already around to Christian name terms, but with Carl in tow, that was about as much solid progress as I could make. And it wasn't until... Wednesday evening, the night before we planned to relieve the Baron of the necklace, that we managed to grab ourselves a few minutes alone. There was a beer garden next to the hotel with an orchestra that played nothing but waltzes. Harry, I wish for a while to talk with you. Well, here I am. No, no, it is too crowded here, too much noise. Where can we go? What's beyond that gate over there? Some trees and a lot. No people? No people. I think we've been wasting our time here. Let's go, honey. As we went through the gate and left the dancers and the music behind, my heart skipped a jump or two and I had a sort of crazy, excited feeling like a high school boy about to embark on his first love affair. Half of me was saying, go easy, Harry, don't start something you can't finish. And the other half was longing to take Susie in my arms. You are seeming a little nervous, Harry. You are not worried about tomorrow night. Oh, no, 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 of course not. I shouldn't be worried. You are not forgetting you have joined with Carl and me? No, 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 I'm glad. Ah, so am I. It is bringing to me much happiness to have met you. You are so different from every other man I have known. Harry, when this is over, when the necklace is sold and we have divided the money, what will you do? Well, it mightn't be very healthy to stick around here. I guess I'll go back to Paris, hmm? I shall miss you very much. Well, why not come too? 
If only I could. What's to stop you? Oh, Carl. You mean you and he? Huh? You have not guessed? Well, I have wondered a few times. Oh. Once for a little while, we were being lovers. It is all over now since a long time, and we are just uh, what you call associates of business. Mm. It is agreed what I do is my own affair, but he is by disposition very jealous, and I am always afraid. Listen, leave Carl to me. I've handled tougher guys than him. Susie, with the moonlight on your face and in your hair, lovelier than ever. Am I? The loveliest thing I've ever seen. <sighs> Please, Harry, you mustn't. I'm crazy about you. Harry. You will come with me to Paris, won't you? Oh, I... Well... I'll try. Good. Oh, oh, please let me go. Someone is coming. Okay, we'll get back to the subject later, huh? I don't know just how much Carl was responsible, but I didn't get a chance to see Susie alone all next day, so the question of the future stayed up in the air. Now, of course, there was something even more important to think about, Operation Necklace. Around about nine o'clock, Susie went off to keep her dinner date with the Baron. An hour after that, Carl and I left the hotel separately and met again later, according to plan, in a dark laneway that ran beside the Baron's villa. I let myself quietly into the Baron's garden and hid behind a big shrub. Then Carl went openly to the front door and pulled the bell. The short pause. And then... Uh, good evening, Joachim. Oh, it's you, Herr Klauser. I crossed the lawn, and in another second I was climbing up the lattice. It was even easier than I'd thought. The latch on the bedroom door was old and loose, and in half a minute it was open and I was inside. I switched on a small flashlight, located the safe, turned the key that Susie had given me, and it opened as sweetly as a dream. There was a lot of other stuff in the safe, but it was the necklace I was after. I found it at last, in a plush lined case. I took one quick glance, looked all right to me. $100,000 was a bargain basement price for a set of rocks like that. I closed the safe, and then, as I was moving toward the balcony door, it happened. A small chair I failed to see and stumbled into. I paused for a moment, holding my breath. And I heard feet pounding up the stairway and voices. Where do you think it came from? Out of the master's bedroom. Quickly, Herr Clauser. This way. There wasn't any time to escape. I slipped behind a set of heavy curtains by the window, and as I did so, I wondered, was this just an accident? Or had Carl found out about Susie and me? Was this a double cross? In a moment, Orson Welles returns as Harry Lyme, the third man.
And now, Orson Welles, as Harry Lyme, the third man, continues today's story, Susie's Cue. In another second, Carl and the Baron's servant were in the room. My hand was on my gun, ready. If it was a double cross, Carl was going to be very sorry indeed. The light clicked on. No one here, Joachim. He may be hiding. Nonsense. You must have imagined it. Look her closer. The chair's fallen over. That is no imagination. And the balcony door is unlatched. But you're sure you locked it? Quite sure. In that case, he's probably escaped into the garden. Oh, I see no one. That she's got clear by now. Herr Klauser, will you stay here, please? While I'm going down and telephoning the police. But uh, is that necessary? It's what the Herr Baron would do. All right. Off with you. Thank you, sir. You can come out now. Thanks. You fool. You're nearly bungling the whole thing. Well, I warned you this was out of my line. It's done now. You have the necklace. Yes, I got Good. the necklace. You'd better go by this time. Wait for me in your room. Okay. See you later, sweetheart. Twenty minutes later, I was back at the hotel. I waited in my room till after midnight when I was just beginning to wonder whether something had gone wrong. There was a cautious knock on the door, repeated three times. It was Carl's signal. Is everything all right? Sure, come in. You have caused me much trouble, Harry. Much embarrassment. Well, so what? No one can possibly suspect you. You're getting all steamed up about nothing, old man. This is maybe. But it makes for all of us much difficulty. With luck, the Baron, his loss might not have discovered for many days, by which time we should all be out of Vienna and in the clear. Now the police are active and anything may happen. You have the necklace, sir? Yes, of course I do. Let me see. There. Feast your eyes on that, hmm? Ah, it is beautiful. <laughs> you said it. I am seeing at midday tomorrow this man who wishes to buy. He will have the money in cash. Well, before I hand over the necklace, don't you think we should let Susie have a look at it, too? Huh? Why? Well, after all, she's in this as much as you and I... She entitled to some visual proof that I'm handing it over to you? Suppose tomorrow morning you deny that I have. Who's she to believe? You or me? You are doubting my integrity? Oh, no, 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 not at all, man. No, not at all. I, I just like to be sure. Herr Lime, I remind you I'm a Klauser. That means I'm a gentleman. A gentleman's word is his bond. So that is something perhaps you would not understand. Now, take it easy, Carl. I'm... Elsewhere and in other circumstances... You would be obliging me to seek satisfaction. I bet you swung a nifty saber in the good old days at Heidelberg. No need to blow your top now, old The man. necklace, I, please. Times have changed. The necklace? I'm sure. Here you are. Take it. And, Carl. Yes? Maybe I did speak a little out of turn. If so, I'm sorry, old man. Oh. That is all right. We are perhaps both being a little on edge this evening. No hard feelings? Of course not, Harry. That's fine. And by the way, where is Susie now? Have you, have you seen her? Only for a minute. She was already here at the hotel when I returned. I managed to speak a few words with her. How did she get along with the Baron? Oh, it seems that dinner was disturbed abruptly when word came to the Baron of the robbery. So he went off with the police and she came back here. By now, I'm imagining she's asleep. Well, that mightn't be a bad idea for all of us, one way or another. It's been quite an evening. Good night, Carl. Good night. <laughs> disappointed. I'd sort of hoped Susie would drop in before she called it a night. I waited up another hour on the off chance that she would, but no sign of her. So I turned in. 
next morning, she wasn't down for breakfast. At 11 o'clock, she still hadn't appeared. I went into the bar and bought myself a drink. And just as I was beginning to get really worried, there she was, looking fresher and lovelier than ever. Good morning, Harry. Oh, hello there. Now, where have you been? Why haven't I seen you? I've had to, as you call it, lie low. Lie low? Why? The police. You mean to say you're being tailed? Yes. But how come? Must they possibly suspect you? I do not think they are suspecting me exactly. Well? But they are interested in me because I was last night with the bell. And so, for the time being, I have to be careful. Harry, I have news for you. Important news. What is it? I'm afraid that Carl, here's how you say, double-crossing us. But you must be wrong, Susie. I, I grant you he's a bit of a pain in the neck, but after all, he's an aristocrat and a gentleman. Would you be interested to know that Carl's mother was a waitress in a beer garden? What? And that his father died in prison, where he was spending 20 years for robbery with violence. You're kidding. And that Carl was brought up in the slums and gutters of Vienna, and that before he was of age, he was three times in jail for picking oh, pockets. Oh, it can't be true, all that smooth politeness that... It is true. I am knowing his background, you see. You have given him the necklace. Oh, sure. Last night. Then perhaps you will explain to me why he has booked a seat, a single seat, on the one o'clock plane for Zurich. Is that a fact, Susie? Yes, I have checked it for myself. So that's his little game. Well, he needn't think he can get away with it, Susie. No. What are you going to do? I'm going to get that necklace, of course. <laughs> In a long and disillusioned career, I've had to deal with many double-crosses, and experience has taught me there's only one way to do it. That's to get in first and never give the other guy a chance. So when I burst in on Carl in his room, my gun was already in my hand. Hey! What is the meaning of this? I do not understand. You can say that no compressed stuff, old but man. I assure you... Don't reach for your pocket, either. Because this happens to be loaded. It might just go off. The necklace, where is it? Please. If you would only explain. You heard me, the necklace. I'll give you three seconds. Eins, zwei. It is in my hip pocket. All right, turn around. But I Do as you're told, no tricks. Very well. That's more like it. Right. And now on, I'll take charge of this, old man. Oh, if you will please to tell me what this is all about. Can't you guess, Carl? I can only assume it is what you call the double cross. Well, that comes very well from you, you two-timing crook. Now listen to me, Herr Clauser. This is Harry Lime talking, so get it straight. What I was going to say to Carl remained unsaid. At that moment, the door was flung open, and in burst an inspector and the biggest, toughest cop I'd ever seen. There is the man, Clauser. Arrest him. Yes, Herr Inspector. What is the meaning of this? Hey, what goes on? Come along, you. This is an outrage. I protest. If Carl had had any sense, he'd have gone quietly, but he started to struggle. So the cop hung a smart one on his jaw, and the subsequent proceedings, as they say in all the best novels, interested Carl no more. Permit me to offer my congratulations, Herr oh, Lyme. Oh, sure. Yeah. Quite all right. You can put that gun away now. You mm. have recovered the necklace. The necklace? Uh, oh, yes. It's right here in my pocket. Uh, May I have it, please? What? Uh, certainly. The Herr Baron will be most grateful, I am sure. You uh, must have been thinking we would never arrive, but we came as soon as we were receiving the telephone call. Telephone call? call? What telephone call? From the Countess, the lady oh. to whom you gave the message. Oh, Oh, yes, of course. May I ask, Herr Lime, how it was you first came to suspect Colonel Clauser? Oh, just a hunch, I guess. Uh, did you say Colonel Clauser? Why, yes. Were you not knowing he was in the war a famous military officer? Clauser? 
In Bavaria, the Klausers for many generations are being much respected. The colonel is, how do you call it, the dark sheep of the family. Yes, uh, yes I see. You've had dealings with him before, hmm? Yes, unfortunately. Well, tell me just one thing, Inspector. From your knowledge of him, would you say he's the sort of man who'll double-cross an associate? No, no. Impossible. He has many faults, it is true. But always his integrity is impeccable. He is, if I may put it so, the soul of honor. Oh, oh well, well, well. Duplicity, thy name is woman. I knew most of the answers now, but there were still a few I had to learn. After the inspector had gone, I went looking for Susie. I didn't have to search for long. She was still in the bar, and her greeting to me was as casual as if nothing had happened at all. She seemed more than willing to talk. Certainly, she admitted she'd lied to me about Carl planning a double cross and about his background. Certainly, she'd phoned the police and given them a message purporting to come from me. The further we went, the more baffled I must have looked. For finally, she put a cool hand on mine and smiled at me and said, Poor Harry. You find it all a little confusing, yes? Well, maybe I'm not the subtle type. It wouldn't it have been a lot simpler just to denounce both Carl and myself and made a thorough job of it? <laughs> but I would never have dreamed to do that. But why? I had to get Carl out of the way, it's true. For a long time now, he has been difficult. But with you, it was different. Well, how? I have no cause to wish you ill, Harry. Besides, I like you. I like you very much. Did anything work to happen I, to I you? I still don't get it. You know, if Carl didn't plan to double-cross us, he'd have sold the necklace, and then you, your share would have been $30,000. Isn't that right? Right. But as it is, you get nothing. Ah, but that is where you are wrong. I get the necklace. All of it. To myself. How come? It is very simple. You see, when I dined last night with the Baron, he did me the honor to ask me to be his wife. Harry Lyme will be back in just a moment. like women, are notoriously deceitful. Now take Susie. That's right, you take her. I've got enough trouble of my own. And then there's Carl. Just because Carl said he was an officer and a gentleman, and just because Carl looked like an officer and a gentleman, and even acted like one, I was sure he had to be a fake. <laughs> Just goes to show you. Nowadays, you can't trust anybody. So long now.
Stay tuned for Honest Herald next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a trip back to 1952 and a visit with Harold Perry as he portrays Honest Harold, a DJ on a small radio station. The Harold Perry Show. And now, Harold Perry as Honest Harold the Homemaker. If you lived in Melrose Springs and you turned on your radio at 10 o'clock in the morning, you'd hear a program that's very popular with the ladies. Honest Harold the Homemaker. But not always so popular with Mr. Carruthers, the owner of KHJP and his nephew, Stanley Peabody, the station manager. It's evening now. Harold is at the radio station preparing his program for the next morning. With him is his assistant, Little Billy the ex-jockey. Well, let's work on the mail now, Little Billy. Yeah, here's a lady that wants to know why a window dresser always turns the price tag so you can't read them. <laughs> That's your assignment for tomorrow, Little Billy. Go on down to Hershey's department store and find out. Okay, Hal Pal. Uh, here's some social items that our regular contributor from Asheville sent us. Oh, yes, Aunt Mary. Let's see. They're usually pretty good. <laughs> Dear Harold, not much to report to you this week, except that we did have a little excitement here a few days back. Amy Streeter forgot and left her grandpa on the porch overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this one isn't bad either. My cousin Joe was 32 this week. We don't know what to do with Joe. He hasn't made a... I've got an idea that'll really pep up your program. Oh, good. What is it, Billy? Why don't you give tips on the horse races? Y- what? Please. <laughs> Billy, let's forget the horse races. Who's that? Uh, I suppose it's Snoopy Poopy Peabody. Just because he's the manager around here, he thinks he can walk... Hello, Harold. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Ellie. <laughs> Hello, little Billy. Hello. Well, this is quite a surprise. I didn't know you were coming down to the station tonight. Yes, Stanley asked me to come down and help him take inventory. Oh, you're with Peabody, eh? No, Harold, don't be jealous. Well, as long as you're here, I guess we could have a cozy little chat. Yeah, let's have a cozy little chat. Uh, uh, <laughs> Billy, weren't you going home early tonight and look over a racing farm or something? Go home and... Uh-oh, I get it. Yes, he gets it. <laughs> You want me to look over a racing form while you look over a filly. (laughs) Billy, that's silly, Billy. So long, Hal Pal. (laughs) Imagine that little jockey having an idea like that. Well, Philly, uh, Evie? I just dropped in to say hello for a minute. Stanley's waiting for me. Stanley, huh? That professional nephew. That nincompoop. That... Oh, hello, Stanley. (laughs) Nice seeing you. (laughs) Hello, Hamp. Uh, Taking inventory, eh, Stanley? Guess you counted in old Honest Harold, the homemaker. No, I was only counting the assets tonight. Liabilities tomorrow. (laughs) Well, I led with my chin. (laughs) Ready, Evelina? I'll take you home now. Well, Uh, Stanley, all through checking things around the station? Yes, of course. Uh, Did you check the thermowattle? The what? Well, you're the manager of a radio station. You ought to know what a thermowattle is. Well... Why, if that isn't checked, Stanley, it could burn out the transmitter, um, explode the static condenser, and blow up the whole station. It could? Uh, uh, Evelina, will you excuse me? I, I just remembered something. I'll see you later. 
You know, it's funny, but I've never heard of a thermobottle. You haven't? Neither have I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honest Harold, Rick. Well, all's fair in love and war and thermobottles. Come on, I'll walk you home. Oh, you don't have to do that. Can't have you walking all that way by yourself. But it's only three blocks. Not the way we're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uncle Doc is asleep. Yeah, dear old Doc Yak Yak. How is the old veterinarian? I suppose he had a hard day manicuring sheep. Sit down, Harold. Guess I'll sit here on the sofa next to you. Uh, 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 oop. What did I sit on? Oh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Aardvark to chromosome. <laughs> Must have sat on aardvark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is nice, sitting here with you. Yes, it is. Heavy. How about a little kiss? Now, Harold, there's no reason why we can't just sit here and talk. Talk? All right. How are things down at the office, Heavy? Fine. Good. How about a kiss? Heavy, <laughs> <laughs> why haven't you ever married? Oh, I don't know. I suppose I've been waiting for a tall, slender Prince Charming. Oh? Would you settle for a short, chubby homemaker? <laughs> How do you know I'm very fond of you? You have so many good qualities, especially your honesty. Well... <laughs> but it's important to have a sense of proportion. Sometimes you go off on impulsive crusades about inconsequential things. You tilt at windmills. I do? Last thing I tilted was a pinball machine. <laughs> Like Don Quixote. Don Quixote? <laughs> Don Quixote was a character in one of the great novels about old Spain. He was a crusader, too. Oh. Uh. He saw every windmill as an imaginary enemy and went charging into it with his lance. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Besides, there aren't any windmills in Melrose Springs. Oh, dear, I, I guess you'll never change. Heavy. Would it make any difference to you if I did? Well, it might. Well, if it means so much to you, I'll reform. No more tilting pinball and uh, windmills. Do you really mean that, Harold? You bet I do. You know you mean an awful lot to me, Evelina. Remember when I used to sing this to you? Evelina, won't you ever take a shine to that moon? Remember? Evelina, ain't you bothered by that bobolinks too? Tell me, tell me how long you gonna keep delaying the day? Don't you reckon it's wrong? Rifling with your honey this way Evelina, won't you pay a little mind to me soon Wake up, 
Wake up, the earth is fair, the fruit is fine, but what's the use of smelling watermelon, clinging to another fuller line won't you roll off that vine and be mine? Ah, oh, that was nice, Harold. You like it? Great. I'll sing another chorus. Hey, down there. Oh, it's old Doc Yak Yak. What does the old horse doctor want now? Evelina, did one of my animals get loose? Why, no, Uncle. Uh, thought I heard a jackass braid in the fire. <laughs> I've been insulted. Good night, Evie. Hurry, I'll be late for my program this morning. Gosh, it was nice being with Evie last night. Well, from now on, I'm going to change. Yes, sir. No more tilting at windmills. Hey there, lover boy. Oh, good morning, Doc. Morning, Harold. Yeah, see, you got your little satchel with you, Doc. You back in the veterinary business? On an emergency call. Hmm? And got a warm nose down at the dog pound. Yeah. <laughs> oh? <laughs> hey, uh, you were getting a little uh, cozy with my niece in the parlor last night. Weren't you, Dreamboat? <laughs> How did you know? I snuck downstairs and took a look. Doc, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I was kind of sorry. Didn't learn a thing. Evie <laughs> uh, uh, is wonderful, Doc. She's going to make a new man out of me. Yes, sir, you're now looking at the new Harold Hip. Don't look a bit better than the old one. <laughs> no more going to bat over every See, little... Harold. Yeah? Heard something this morning that ought to interest an old crusader like you. What? City's planning to cut down that big elm tree on Main Street. The one by Hofstad's hardware store? They can't do that, Doc. Why, that tree is as old as Melrose Springs. Uh, she's leaning. <clears throat> old man Hofstad claims it might fall on his store. Says it's like living under the hanging sword of Damocles. Why, the old crab. I defy the city to cut down that tree. Just wait till you hear my program this morning. Woodman, spare that tree. Touch not a single bough. For years it sheltered me, and I'll protect it. Oh. That's a nice poem, but it don't rhyme. I just remembered something, Doc. If the city wants to cut down that tree, it's no affair of mine. What? It's just another windmill. Oh, it's a tree. I'm not interested. Not one little bit, Doc. I'm through crusading over these little inconsequential things. Harold, are you sick? What? Let me feel your nose. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Doc. After all, what if they do cut down that elm tree? Just because the whole town's grown up around it? All the children played in its shade. Sweethearts carved their initials in it. Little birds had their happy homes there. <laughs> See you later, Doc. Good morning, this is Station KHJP, the station of the friendly frost warnings. Honest Harold, the homemaker, will be on in 20 minutes. I think. Off again, on again. Harold, they ought to call him. Well, good morning, Laurie. Oh, good morning, Mr. Hemp. 
I've got some good news. You're going to have some new spot announcements on your program. Well, that's good. Who's the sponsor? Smiling Sprockets Pawn Shop. Uh? You know, be happy. Hock it with Sprockets. Oh, yes. I pawned my mandolin there once. He learned how to play it better than I did. Oh, Mr. Hamp, uh? I saw something in the paper this morning I think you ought to know. What's that? The city council vetoed the appropriation for pigeon feeding in Boomer Park. What? Why those hard-hearted, nickel-nursing anti-pigeonists? They'll hear from Harold Hemp. Oh, I knew the pigeons could count on you. Yeah, absolutely. Just wait till I get on the air. I'll... Oop. No, I won't. I mustn't be a Don Quixote. Don who? Gloria. Haven't you ever heard of Don Quixote? Oh, sure. I love his rumba music. <laughs> yeah, he plays like a windmill. <laughs> see you later, Gloria. Oh, Mr. Hemp, huh? I forgot to tell you. Mr. Peabody wants to see you in his office and right away. Oh, he does, eh? Getting to be a habit. Well, all right. But he's mad because I sent him after Thermowattle last night. Guess he found out there's no such thing. I don't know why I do things like that to Stanley. <laughs> yeah, I guess he'll read the riot act to me. Well, might as well go in and face the chin music. Well, good morning, Stanley. Hello, Hemp. Sit down. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was pretty clever of you last night, sending me to look for that thermal wattle. Well, <laughs> it took me two hours, but I finally found it. Oh. <laughs> you did? I wonder what it is. <laughs> but that wasn't what I wanted to see you about. Huh? Kemp, as you may be aware, my uncle, Mr. Carruthers, and the owner of this station, is attaining his 65th birthday next week. Good. The old skin flint. <laughs> Obviously, an event like this calls for a celebration of major proportions. I want to make this a day that will burn forever in his memory. Something that will give him a real glow. We could set fire to his beard. <laughs> this celebration must be well thought out, well planned. And an idea just popped into my head. It's going to be awfully lonesome in there. <laughs> my idea has to do with Boomer Park. Boomer Park. As you know, the park was named after General Boomer, a very vague figure in the history of our town. Vague? Well, I wouldn't In say view of the many civic contributions my uncle has made to Melrose Springs... I propose our city change the name from Boomer Park to Carruthers Park. What? And, of course, replace that statue of General Boomer with one of Mr. Carruthers. Peabody, I won't stand for that. General Boomer was a great man. Why, he founded Melrose Springs. But the name is still going to be changed to Carruthers Park. Over my dead body. That will be a pleasure. Oh. But starting this morning, you will convince your listeners that you are heartily in favor of the idea. That's an order. You ought to be ashamed of yourself trying to put something like this over on the people of this town. I won't do it. It's against my principles. Honest, Harold, this is no time for one of your stupid crusades. Don't you call crusades? Oh, I almost forgot, Evelina. What? Stanley. Yes. I despise myself for this, but I'll do it. Good. But I want you to know, Stanley, I'm only doing this for love. Harold. Not you, Peabody. I hate you. <laughs> for the second act of our story, Honest Herald, in just a moment. Three more top stars check in next Sunday, October 1st, at CBS, The Star's Address. Amos and Andy will be back with the Kingfish and their other cronies, and Red Skelton will return for another great season of laughter with Junior, the Mean Widow Kid, Willie Lump Lump, and Deadeye the Cowboy. 
Be listening next Sunday night for the return of Amos and Andy and Red Skelton on most of these same CBS stations. to Honest Harold, who's a little unhappy at this moment. <laughs> For the first time on his Happy Homemakers program, Honest Harold let the people of Melrose Springs down. You said it. Against all his instincts, he came out in favor of changing the name of Boomer Park to Carruthers Park. Yeah, I could bite my tongue off. It's late in the afternoon, and Honest Harold is slinking down the hall of the radio station. Good night, George. Probably didn't hear me. Good night, Jerry. Must be busy working on those W-4 forms. <laughs> Good night. Snob. <laughs> uh, you might as well face it, Honest Harold. Ever since your program this morning, nobody's speaking to you. Good night, Harold. Good night, Peabody. There goes one windmill I ought to tilt. <laughs> Relative. Uh, yes, Gloria? Oh, gee, everybody's sure mad at you. Yeah, I'm aware of that, Gloria. Mr. Feeney called from the post office. Huh? There's a stack of letters there for you already. He said some of them threaten mayhem. What's that? May... <laughs> Never mind, Gloria. Well, I think I'll run over and see Evelina. Uh, Mr. Uh, Hemp, mm? do you want me to take the calls to come in for you? No, better not, Gloria. You're too young to hear that kind of language. <laughs> Bevy's home. It'd be nice to talk to her. After all, I'm doing this for her. Oh, it's you. <laughs> Good evening, Doc. Is Evie home? Nope. Oh? Be home soon? Nope. Oh. She's still over at Carruthers. She's taking dictation from him, too. Oop. Might I come in a while, Doc? Can't stop you. Well, <laughs> what's new? Carruthers Park. Now, look here, Doc. Honest Harold. But, Doc, I'm doing Just it. Just goes to prove what I always said. Animals are more honest than people. Mm-hmm. Never catch a cow trying to sneak on a streetcar with a three-day-old transfer. <laughs> Doc, never heard of an Airedale being sent to jail for cheating on his income tax. <laughs> Doc, what else could I do? All I know is I'm disappointed in you, Harold. Coming out in favor of changing the name of Boomer Park. You know everybody's against a thing like that. Why, if you keep this up, you won't have a friend in town. I don't care. I'm doing what I think is right, and I'll stand by it. I'm as honest as I ever was. I'm... I'm... I'm a low-crawling, miserable worm. Hot supper waiting for me. Well, I'm not hungry. Can't face anybody. She might have fried eggs lying there staring at me. <laughs> hey there, Harold, wait up! Oh, hello, Billy. Well, I suppose you're mad at me, too. Mad at you? Why? Then you think I did right about Boomer Park? Absolutely. Pretty clever, pal, the way you fixed the race. What? Old man Carruthers must be slipping you a pocketbook. 
to pull a double cross like this. Billy, I want you to understand that I'm not doing this for money. Sure, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not. I can just see the race. Boomer parks the favorite with all the suckers. Carruthers Park is a long shot. A pig. (laughs) Billy? The horses are on the track. They're at the starting gate. They're off! Hmm? Boomer Park leads all the way until the stretch. And then when the judges ain't looking, you take the needle, lift up the saddle, and jab Carruthers in the hindquarters. (laughs) Billy, I'll do no such thing. And Carruthers Park shoots inside the rail and wins by a no. Oh, for heaven's sake, this is ridiculous. Billy, you know very well that I wouldn't have anything to do with a crooked race. Well, maybe it ain't a crooked race, but I just hope they don't give you a saliva test. Uh, uh, Why don't I go home? I'll have to go home sometime. Why did I pick some other place to walk? Boomer Park. If anybody sees me here, I'll get shot. Oh, hello, little pigeon. Well, come here, nice pigeon. Whoop. <laughs> Flew away. He's mad at me, too. Uh, uh, what am I going to do? Who's that? Oh, uh, General Boomer statue. Hello, General. How are things? Just think. Been sitting on that horse for 80 years. <laughs> Must be getting saddle sore. <laughs> Hope you don't mind, General, if they move you out of the park. Maybe they'll put you out in the country someplace with no pigeons. (laughs) Hate to do this to you, General, but it's for love. You must understand about love. You had 11 children. Gosh, General, put yourself in my place. A man's got to be sensible sometimes. Got to play it safe. You'd do the same thing, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? No. No, you wouldn't. I read about you in the Civil War. At the Battle of Antietam, you didn't say, let's play it safe. You said, follow me, I'm moving up. And at Stone Mountain, you didn't say, let's be sensible. You said, it's now or never, boys. Follow me. And at Missionary Ridge, did you say, let's run away today and fight tomorrow? No, you said, are you with me, boys? I'm going forward, and you won. General Boomer, I won't let you down. Tomorrow morning, Honest Harold is moving into battle. Pigeons, I mean, fellas, follow me. And so, listeners, this is Honest Harold, the homemaker, telling you once again that I will oppose... And I urge all of you to oppose any scheme to change the name of Boomer Park. And I'm sorry I gave you the wrong advice yesterday, girls. And I promise you I'll never let you down again. And that stands, no matter what uncle of what nephew might say. Hemp, have you gone mad? The static you just heard is Stanley Peabody. And so, folks, until tomorrow, if there is one, this is Honest Harold, the homemaker, saying goodbye. And goodbye, General Boomer. Hemp, I'll have your head for this. Well, all I can say is, Stanley, you could use it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, sure do you know who was listening to your program? Mr. Carruthers. Mr. Carruthers? Was he upset? Oh, 
He wants to see you at his home immediately. And unless I'm mistaken, he'll give me orders to fire you. You've forgotten one thing, Stan. Oh, boy, his wife is one of my staunchest admirers. Why, she wouldn't let him fire me. For your information, Hemp, Mrs. Carruthers left on a trip to New York this morning. Oop, I should have gone with her. <laughs> Here's Carruthers' mansion. Big. Looks more like a medieval castle. Probably has a torture chamber in the cellar for ex-employees. <laughs> Doors opening. Sure needs oiling. Come in. So does he. <laughs> Thank you. Big butler. <laughs> so you're the butler here, eh? Well... How do you like butling? Must be a silent butler. <laughs> I'm uh, here to see Mr. Carruthers. Down the hall. Down, down the hall. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> wonder what he charged to haunt the radio station. Uh, sure is a long haul. That big tapestry. What's that? Uh, and these knights in suits of armor. wonder if they used to get two pair of pants for those suits. <laughs> this must be his study. Come in. Uh, Mr. Carruthers? Mr. Carruthers, you'll address me by my military title, sir. Major. Major? That's right. Major Aloysius Carruthers, Light Horse Cavalry, 3rd Platoon National Guard. Who are you? Harold Hemp, BPOE reporting, sir. <laughs> Oh, thank you. You the young fellow has a program on my station? Uh, yes, sir. Honest Harold, the homemaker. Um, songs, household hints. Why hint? Come right out and say what you mean. Uh, uh, oh, yes, sir. I'll do that. Why doesn't the old boy fire me and get it over with? Uh, how are things at the station? I may inspect there one of these days. Ready for inspection? Huh? Always be ready for inspection. Keep your shoes shine. Never volunteer. Remember that. Yeah. Oh, brother. Well, life and live off the country. Now, young man, I heard you say something this morning about renaming Boomer Park. Oh, here comes the firing squad. Look there in the wall. Eh? Map of the Civil War, Battle of Antietam. I'm writing a book on that battle. Look at that pin, the big red one. Know what that is? A USO unit? <laughs> that, sir, is General Boomer. Who? General Martin P. Boomer, one of the greatest tacticians of the Civil War. General Boomer? Follow me, I'm moving up, Boomer? His words exactly. Oh, remarkable soldier. And that ant-brained nephew of my wife wanted to rename Boomer Park after me. Doesn't he know the difference between a major and a general? I'll explain it to him, sir. Right. Go back there, Hemp, and shake up that outfit. Tighten things up. Tell him to prepare for inspection. Yes, sir. It'll be a pleasure. Honest Harold, you're dismissed. Dismissed? Oh, you mean I can go? <laughs> La da dee da da. Evie. Yes, Harold. You weren't angry with me for breaking my promise. Why no? In fact, I'm very proud of you. You are. There are some things a man has to take a stand on. And I think General Boomer was a very worthwhile crusade. Uh, and I'm more convinced than ever that you should run for mayor. 
Abby? Yes? How about moving over a little closer to the next mayor? Well, if you'll promise to behave. Sure, I promise. All right. Harold, you promised to behave. That was just a campaign promise. <laughs> Just heard the Harold Perry Show, Honest Harold. The supporting players included Francis Robinson, Ken Peters, Jerry Merrin, Jack Moyles, and Will Wright, and featured Gloria Holiday as Gloria and Joseph Kearns as old Doc Yak Yak. Norman MacDonald directed, and the music was composed and conducted by Jack Meekin. Tonight's script was written by Gene Stone, Jack Robinson, and Dick Powell. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.